Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An Internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. So we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, and uh, the, the Mark Anthony uh, is is amazing. So so much so in our last conversation uh, when we had him on the show, I invited him back because we ended our our last interview talking about uh, uh, grief and crime, and uh, I wanted to really get into that, but we were running out of time, so I invited him back. Uh, today. He is the author of Never Letting Go, Heal Grief with Help from the Other Side. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Philippe. It's good to be here, and I'd like to say hello to all the listeners. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. So let's let's dig right into this. Now, of course, uh, this book, Never Letting Go, is, is, is flying off the bookshelves, uh, both physically and digitally. Uh, but you're working on a new book, uh, and in that new book, you're really uh, fleshing out uh, this connection uh, between grief and crime, which I have not heard of before, and I'm excited about it because, uh, you know, I have a nonprofit that's dedicated to eliminating generational poverty, but looking at uh, uh, poverty and living in poverty as uh, post-traumatic stress uh, uh, disorder and, and making that connection uh, that uh, many people who are living in poverty are, are going through the same issues psychologically than someone coming back from war. Uh, and within all of that, there's grief. Uh, talk to us about this connection between grief and crime. You know, uh, first off, I'd like to thank you for the work that you're doing because the generational poverty is indeed creating a mindset and a sense of victimization. And that's also what I'm talking about with grief, crime, grief. What mm-hmm. I've found, Philippe, uh, is I'm both a criminal defense attorney and a psychic medium. And in both of my careers, I started noticing something very very remarkable. And when I say remarkable, I don't mean that in the positive sense. Mm. I found that in the developmental stage of someone's life, if there is, in other words, a child, uh, teen, young adult, mm-hmm. if there is a death of a loved one, and that death is not resolved properly. In other words, if the person didn't go to grief counseling or they didn't have a good support group or family, what I've seen a lot with with criminals is they come from, for the most part, family backgrounds that don't, like if you and I had a death in our family, our parents, you know, love us and our family would say, okay, we're going to talk about this and, and they would get us into counseling and, you know, maybe we'd go to our faith community or church or, or mm-hmm. synagogue mm-hmm. Or, or whatever. But in these families, it's like, dude, don't think about it. Oh, don't worry about it. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. put it out of your mind. Here, smoke this, drink this, snort mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you can't out, you can't smoke away, um, drink away, snort away, or have sex enough to dull the pain of grief. So now that is powerful. Let me let me intercede on that just sure. because that is exceptionally powerful. Basically, you're saying you can. There is no addiction you can acquire 
that will eliminate grief. And I think that is something that is very important to get across because that is the number one thing most people go to. And, and it, that's absolutely correct. And in my book, Never Letting Go, I talk a lot about about that. And then in the upcoming book, um, I'm going to you know take it and expand upon that because men in particular, we'll talk about grief for a minute, then I'll get back to to the grief, crime, grief. Mm-hmm. As as men, okay, if if we're in high school, and let's say um, it's the night of the prom or the day of the prom, if mm-hmm. a girl if a girl breaks her fingernail. Okay, it's like, oh, my God, it's like a big thing. Her friends will help her and, you know, and all that. You and I are playing football with our buddies and we get tackled and break a collarbone. All right. Do you cry? (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, And the thing is, men and women, boys and girls tend to be socialized differently. And it's considered a form of weakness for men to express their emotions and their grief. And the only publicly acceptable emotion for a man to express is anger. I mean, think about that. Wow, that's, you've got a point. Yeah, I mean, it, gee, that's, that's worked real well in world history, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and so, so in that scenario, a lot of times in the developmental stage of, of a child, if the grief isn't dealt properly and if it's tried to suppress, you can't suppress grief. You can't ignore it. Like you said, there's no addiction that you can, can do to outrun it or, or delay it or numb it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you try to suppress it, it's going to emerge in other ways through aggressive behaviors, impulsive behaviors, definitely how nature will find a way to express itself. You just it, cannot uh, hide it. You cannot stop it. Exactly, because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's and correct. That, and that's not just in physics. That's also with our emotions and our feelings. And so what I've found is that a lot of drug addicts, alcoholics, um, rapists, and, and predatorial-type behaviors, people who steal things, it's because in their developmental stage, there was a death, it wasn't dealt with, and now they're acting out on it. And this is really serious stuff. So, so my theory is that unresolved grief leads a person to engaging in behaviors. I'm not saying everyone, but a mm-hmm. huge percentage um, of behaviors that leads them into criminal activity, and therefore, through that criminal activity, they can inflict grief upon another person. Let me, mm-hmm. let me explain. A boy, let's say he's eight years old, daddy dies, nobody um, helps him deal with it, and he starts drinking at age 12, 13, sneaking some beers, sneaking some liquor, and then uh, he gets his license um, and maybe makes it into his, uh, his 20s, he becomes a major alcoholic, um, starts driving drunk, commits a DUI manslaughter. The grief led to crime which has now inflicted grief upon someone else in in Mm -hmm. addition to himself and his own family. And the fact of the matter is, Philippe, I have never met a drug addict or an alcoholic that was a happy person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and it's a pattern of behavior that you fall into. I mean, you don't wake up one day and go, I think I'll become a heroin addict. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what you're doing right now is sounding exactly like I, I sound when, I'm at my, when I do my speeches. I go up and I say, look, 
Is there anyone in the audience when you were a little girl or a little boy that ran up to your mother and father and said, hey, when I grow up, and, uh, when I, grow up I want to become, you know, uh, a drug addicted. I want to become a crack addict. You know, you're absolutely on point. It's never a goal, but there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who end up this way and don't have to. And don't have to. And, 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 and the thing is... But they've never made this connection, obviously, to, to you know unresolved grief, and you're right, especially the men, we're not going to talk to anybody about it. We're going to stuff it and be men about it and handle it. But obviously we're not capable of doing that in a, in a, in a productive way. So we implode as opposed to explode. Right. It's, it's like, um, let, let's say, uh, as a man, um, somebody you love dies. Okay, let's say you're in your 30s or 40s. Somebody you love dies, you don't deal with it. And then your wife wonders, why are you cheating on me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's happening is, all right, you're going out, you're engaging in impulsive behaviors, you're getting that 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 high, that buzz from, you know, having a you know quick sexual encounter or whatever. So what you're doing is is your grief is reemerging in forms of inappropriate behaviors. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget, I was representing this woman. Uh, she came to see me. Um, you know, very nice, nice old lady, and she got caught at a at an upscale department store for stealing uh, jewelry, costume jewelry, and stuff like that. And I'm talking to her, and she explains to me that her husband's a doctor, and I said he's a doctor. I go, I, I don't mean to to sound you know uh, crass or anything, but you could have afforded that thirty dollar <laughs> bracelet that he stole. And she goes, Yes, I could. And I go, Why do you steal things? She goes, I don't know. I do it all the time. And you know, we used to call them kleptomaniacs. You know, we had all these arcane. So I started talking to her, and being a psychic medium, I started getting the sense of a male energy around her. And I said, Did someone die? When you were a girl like your dad, and all of a sudden she looks at me and her eyes got really big and she burst into tears. And when she was a little girl, she was about four or five, she goes, Daddy died. He didn't want me. And and it was weird because it wasn't weird, but it it was incredible to see this mature, sophisticated woman transform. Mm-hmm. into this mm-hmm. little girl that was crushed. Long story short, I said, you know, you need to get into grief counseling. I got her into grief counseling, and um, and lo and behold, she said it stopped her desire to steal things because she realized it used to give her a thrill, and, and it was like a buzz that she was looking for. Okay, so whether your addiction is stealing things or impulsive sexual behaviors or drinking or alcohol... You know, an addiction's an addiction. And I heard this comedian one time, he says, an addiction is an addiction, it's not a disease. Now, I know that the AA people and all that disagree with me, and we have healthy um, intellectual debates. But I saw mm-hmm. a comedian one time, and the comedian said, an addiction's an addiction, and a disease is a disease, because I've never met anyone that's gone out to score a bag of cystic fibrosis. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and, well, that and, makes you think, right? That'll, that'll, that'll definitely keep the debate going, won't it? <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, I'm not saying that addictions are not a real problem. It is very, very difficult. An addiction is is something that you know that you get involved with, 
and uh, that happens to you, and it is difficult, but it's different than a, a disease because you cannot just decide to stop having cancer or decide to stop having cystic fibrosis, but you mm-hmm. can make the conscious decision not to smoke something, snort something, or drink something, or shoot up something. I'm not saying it's easy, and it's going to be point. a lifetime struggle, but sure. there's, a, there's a big difference there. And the problem is we've become a society of victims. If it is a disease, then I'm a victim. If I'm a victim, then I do not have to take responsibility for my actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'll mm-hmm. bet you've seen this with the work you're doing on, on generational poverty as well. Absolutely. It's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, it was a Carl Jung, uh, I'm paraphrasing, said something to the point, of, to the effect of what we don't understand uh, and, 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 and can't comprehend and grasp breaks off and becomes more primitive. At, at, at our very, you know, base level state, we're very, we're very primitive people, I mean, when it comes down to it. Well, we're, we're cavemen and women with computers. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, we're 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 you know we're higher order bipedal primates having a material world existence. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, and, and you know, we were talking. But these before, addictions, but these addictions and and these emotions that are unresolved um, run our entire lives, regardless of where we're at in the economic scale. Absolutely. And the things that happen to us, you know, when a loved one dies, and and this is a big part of what I talk about in my book, Never Letting Go, when a loved one dies, that is a crushing event. It's devastating. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it doesn't matter if if it was an unexpected passing or, you know, somebody had a terminal illness and you knew that he or she was going to die. Mm-hmm. It That's is correct. devastating, and it's a cataclysmic, life-changing event. Exactly. And, and everything is different, and you spiral into depression, and you've got to deal with it. Now, getting through grief isn't all about, oh, well, I'm going to feel happy um, in five or six months or, or two or three years. It's a lifelong process. And the objective mm-hmm. of getting through grief is not to feel all happy again. It is accepting the reality of the death and through that acceptance, finding inner peace with it so that you don't torture or torment yourself. Now, with the grief leading to crime, which leads to grief, as a psychic medium, I do a lot of um, a lot of readings for people uh, where I connect them with their loved ones on the other side. Mm-hmm. And as a criminal offense attorney, <clears throat> I'm called upon many times to do legal analysis. And I found a very interesting case, and pretty much everybody has heard of it in one form or another. There's been several movies made about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the uh, author, Truman Capote, wrote a book back in the the mid-60s called In Cold Blood. And this was a very notorious murder. But we have murders like this going on all the time. It's just that Truman Capote, uh, being such a great writer, wrote a book where he kind of turned the the murderers into these Mm anti-heroes. And and, uh, long story short, there was the um, the Clutter family who lived in Kansas, and these two men, Perry Smith and Dick Hickok, one one uh, night broke into their house, tied the family up, brutally murdered them. Okay, and it, and it was it's horrific what they did to these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Truman Capote got involved and uh, wrote about them. And um, the interesting thing is. 
right after the murders, Hickok and Smith, they stole a car and they drove to Florida. Now, this was back in 1959. And a month after the Kansas murders, a family in Sarasota, Florida, a family of four, uh, two, um, um, uh, the husband was like 24, the wife was uh, 23, they had uh, two toddlers. They were brutally murdered. Wow. Witnesses have identified at the, at the time Dick Hickok and Perry Smith both in Sarasota, Florida, the day of the murder. And we know that they were in that area based on other evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It is my belief, based not only on reviewing the cold case evidence, but uh, when I was working on it, you know, you really focus on this type of thing. I really got the impression that these guys did it. It's still a cold case. It's still an open case. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up, this is at a time when grief counseling was essentially non-existent. Mm -hmm. talking 1959. All right, we got Perry Smith. He's the one that Truman Capote really bonded with, and there's a lot of speculation about the nature of their relationship, which I don't know if I'll get into on this uh, show. Mm -hmm. And and then there's Dick Hickok. Dick Hickok was the model um, high school athlete. He was kind of a jock, and, you know, he was real out gregarious, and then he was in a really bad car accident when he was in high school, which left his face somewhat disfigured. Mm -hmm. And And I think he probably sustained some brain damage there, because if you get hit hard enough to disfigure your face, chances are there's some some brain injury, which they didn't know much about at that time. And so he um, started getting in lots of trouble. He started committing check fraud, and then he ended up in prison where he met Perry Smith. Now, Perry Smith is a very, very classic case of grief leading to crime, which leads to grief. Long story short, his dad was um, was like American, and his mother was Native American, and a broken family. His mother died. Um, she was an alcoholic. Died when he was thirteen by choking on her own vomit. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, and then at, at, at age fourteen, his brother committed suicide, as did one of his other sisters. So, by the time he was sixteen, his mother had died, and two of his siblings had committed suicide. He went from there into um, chronic alcoholism, ended up in prison. In prison, they talked to this guy who worked for Mr. Clutter that said, oh, yeah, he's a rich farmer. He's got a safe. He's got all this money. So they get out, and they went, and they they murdered um, the Clutter family. Um, Perry Smith was prone to these uncontrollable fits of rage and mood swings. So what are we seeing here? His grief was never dealt with. In fact, it compounded. How did he cope with it? He coped with it through drinking and through impulsive and aggressive behaviors. The grief led to crime, which led to even more grief. Now, we could go through pretty much every high-profile murder, and I will wager you're going to start seeing typical patterns like this. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people, Philippe, say, oh, well, you're a criminal defense lawyer, and you're using that as an excuse and as a defense. Not necessarily. I'm doing this objectively. This is an observation that mm-hmm. I have made in representing thousands of people as an attorney and in conducting thousands of readings for people whose loved ones come through. It is, it's basically a phenomenon. It's a behavior pattern. So, Let me jump in here for a second, Mark. By all means. 
Um, so let's, you know, let's let's say that this is, you know, uh, that everything you are saying is factual. Um, is there a point uh, where, uh, is there a point or an age or a timeline whereby uh, if you <clears throat> uh, had the opportunity to meet someone like this and uh, connect with them uh, to, uh, and made that connection with them, about the grief of their lost loved one. Is there a point where it it it, it 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 wouldn't matter necessarily that they're going to be who they're going to be, and that that change is not going to make a difference, even if they're they are aware of what has happened to them, or is there some uh, aspect of this where the moment that they recognize this at that deep spiritual level uh, and an emotional level? that um, there's a seed that's planted and, and will, will change their life forever. Is there a point of no return? I think in, in, in several instances there is a point of no return, but I think that in many adults, once they realize what the pattern is and what's going on with them, there is a, a spiritual um, epiphany if you will, mm -hmm. or, or there can be. Mm -hmm. I think that the best defense against this is uh, how we uh, deal with our children because um, I know a lot of schools do the school counseling, um, which is good. If, 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 let's say, a classmate dies, they may oftentimes bring in grief counselors. But it can't just be at school. It's got to be at home as well. Because it's hard enough to deal with the death of a loved one when you're an adult and you have the emotional skill set and some life experience behind you. It's still... It's still, you know, a crushing, crushing, um, uh, you know, blow emotionally. Mm -hmm. But for a child that has neither, and particularly with young children, because a lot of people think, oh, well, he's only three or four years old, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't really know what's going on. But um, I have a friend who, uh, sadly, he committed suicide, and his four-year-old kept asking, where's daddy? And, and the mother said, well, he's in heaven. Well, when's he coming back? Mm -hmm. you know, so you can only say things like that so much. With young children, it's very difficult because eternity and daddy or mommy never coming back is is extremely difficult for mm -hmm. them, if not impossible for them to, to grasp. With older children, they oftentimes understand that someone has died means they're not coming back. And perhaps one of the best things to do is get them talking about it. Find out what they do know. All right, uh, and try to reassure them as best you can, but it's pretty hard to re reassure a four-year-old that daddy is never coming back because then what happens is not only is there the grief, there's the what did I do to make daddy leave? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so all these sure. are the type of things which lead to this low self-esteem, these feelings of depression that lead people into the alcoholism, the drug addiction, and mm -hmm. uh, getting the high off of the impulsive behavior. Behaviors, mm -hmm. let alone the explosive fits of rage. And let me mm -hmm. tell you, rage very, very dangerous thing. Very dangerous. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this is interesting because I want to I want to take it a different angle, or, or at least uh, um, uh, open up the question. You know, we unfortunately uh, had uh, uh, several um, shootings on at schools and campuses and, and what have you around the country. Uh, and, you know, classmates, uh, and even, you know, uh, the, the guy in Colorado who, you know, went in the movie theater and, and, and you know, and, and went berserk. 
<clears throat> but particularly in, in, in the classroom and on the campuses, uh, where these these kids are losing and uh, immediately instantly their their best friends, um, is that also a place where this could trigger? Oh, uh, I, I I absolutely agree with that, and um, especially when you get this mass trauma like that. Now, in the the shootings where, where they're having the survivors, it appears that there's a lot of focus on the counseling uh, aspect and helping these people out. But I want to take a step back for a second. In all these school shootings and, and the kid at Virginia Tech, and I understand I think in Oklahoma today there was uh, some, some report of sh- a shooting. I, I saw it on a news feed before the show. Wow. All of these, these shooters had mental problems, mm-hmm. and yet they have automatic weapons. Mm-hmm. I think... What we really need to be looking at, instead of getting into to a battle over oh whether or not you know people should have guns. I mean, it'd be nice to live in a in a world without guns, but we don't. Okay, and then guns are a reality whether we like it or not. What are we doing with our mentally ill? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the the kid in Colorado uh, is the one that you know shot all of, uh, Sandy Hook, shot shot all the first graders, murdered his mother. First off, his mother, um, I mean, I know he murdered her, but why does she have automatic weapons in a house with a child, a young man that she knows is mentally unbalanced and and, and prone to fits of rage? Also, um, the psychiatrist of this kid uh, tried to warn the police and was blown off. So the thing is, we really need to be placing more focus on the treatment of mentally ill people to uh, to, to keep, I don't necessarily say keep tabs on them, but they're not being treated properly. Mm-hmm. Because if they were, they wouldn't be doing these things. And, and maybe some of these people have these mental problems, once again, due to grief issues. I don't know enough, or I haven't been provided with enough information on the Colorado shooter and some of these others, but I'll bet that my theory is going to hold water in at least half of them, mm-hmm. that there was some type of grief issue, that grief leading to these uh, rage behaviors has now led to crime, which has now inflicted grief on countless people um let's take that to another level um when we're using the term or using the word grief um you know for the most part you have been talking about that you know there has been a loss of a loved one or or, or someone close to them uh, a family member or something uh, uh that's kind of a genetic uh connection uh can there be uh, events that create grief at that same level um, that can also uh, trigger, you know, uh, a, a crime and, 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 and then, of course, again, trigger grief. Does it have to be the death of a loved one? Can it be some other form of, of or event that creates a level of grief? Uh, I believe that it can. Uh, from my perspective, because I'm a psychic medium who communicates with the spirits of, of people on the other side, I've focused on that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And logically, let's say um, d- daddy walks out on mommy or, or mommy walks out or, or there's some, some other type of um, incredible stress-inducing uh, situation in the household. Okay, so that's a good point. So, so a broken home. Uh, or even a divorce, or, uh, whether it's, you know, someone walking out or just a divorce and, and discord in the home. So that can also create a, a, a tremendous amount of grief that can lead to pride as well. It, it can. And, and another um, 
a thing which which does involve death is the death of a beloved pet. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Fluffy Fluffy the cat or Rusty the dog dies, and, you know, people can scoff at that or laugh at that, but in many instances, the death of a pet is a child's first experience with death and with loss. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very frightening and very disconcerting, you know, that your your furry friend has, has ceased to exist. And, you know, it's like, oh, don't worry about it, we'll just get another cat. Well, it's not that way for the child, and so mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt to spend some time with the, with the child. Um, I'll spend a lot of time with them, letting them mourn mourn the pet and to express his or her feelings. I think one of the best ways, the, the best therapies, is letting people express themselves. What I've seen in my work with grief and some of the, the greatest works of art, literature, and culture have been as the result of grief. Um, remember when Eric Clapton had the song out, Tears in Heaven? Mm-hmm. That was a major hit. Well, he wrote that when his little boy fell out of a, um, an apartment window in New York City, plunged mm-hmm. to his death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you look at uh, the works of Michelangelo, real tortured soul, a lot of, lot of pain in his life, Auguste Rodin, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I mean, if you go, go down the line, um, a lot of the rap music, interesting. Um, I try to listen to everything that's out there, and you can hear the pain in a lot Absolutely. of the lyrics there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an expression. There's an anger there. And... Um, it's healthy to take your grief, to take your anger, and channel it into something creative, which is nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Writing something, painting mm-hmm. something, creating a piece of music, um, and it, you know. And if you're not a necessarily artistic person, one of the best things you can do in coping with loss is a grief journal. You know, get on your computer. You can, you know, even handwrite it if you'd like. But get mm-hmm. on your computer, open a Word document, and every day write something about how you're feeling. It can only be one or two sentences. There's a couple of reasons why you should do this. Number one, it's cathartic. In other words, it gets it out. All right, mm-hmm. you're putting it mm-hmm. down. You're expressing your feelings. Number two, let's say you've been doing this for six, seven months, maybe even a year or more, and you think, well, I'm not getting any better. Really? Go back and read your first eight or nine passages mm-hmm. and then compare where you were then mentally and emotionally to where you are now. Mm-hmm. And you will see the progress that you're making. Because, you know, you live with you, so you don't notice the changes. Sure. It's like, you know, people that are dieting and exercising, you know, you look right. at yourself in the mirror every day, I don't know. Then you run into someone you haven't seen for a year. Wow, if you lost weight, you look great. Yeah, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It happens all the time. Absolutely. So it happens the same way behaviorally, too. So that's great. So it's kind of like having a, 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 a you know, a time capsule, if, if you will, of, 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 your, of your life, of, of, of that grief situation, going back and looking at what you were writing you know, uh, a year ago, two years ago, you know, five years ago, to where you're at now. Wow. Exactly, and um, and so so there's a lot of coping techniques uh, for for helping people get through this. And the thing is, also, let's say um, your spouse walks out on you, you lose a job, uh, maybe you lose a tremendous amount of money, um, you have to move for whatever reasons. These are all major stress-inducing 
events in your life. It's okay to write about those too, and how you feel about them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so so that that's very good. One of the other things is physical exercise. You know, people say, well, you know, but but what happens is through physical exercise, you always feel better at the end of the session than you did at the beginning, even if you don't feel like getting up and doing it, because mm-hmm. your body's producing endorphins, and endorphins give you a natural high. Remember, you always hear about the runner's high. Well, mm-hmm. the endorphins make you feel good. Now, here's something that we as men probably never want to do. It's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, people say, well, I'll never cry. Well, you don't have to go, you know, <laughs> you don't need to walk into work and go, hey, everybody, I'm crying. You know, you don't yeah, have to right, do that. Right, right. You know, you can sit in your car, you know, park somewhere and just cry or by yourself. And the reason for that is that tears of grief are chemically different than regular tears. Mm. Because they actually contain the neurotransmitters which cause depression. So when you cry and you're crying tears of grief, you're actually removing the chemicals from your body that cause depression and sadness. So now that is exceptionally powerful, Mark. I, th- I mean, you know, that that's amazing. I think most people need to hear this. Uh, that um, you know, there that crying and is 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 a biochemical reaction of, of relieving grief. That's that's phenomenal. Well, you know, Philippe, God doesn't leave anything to chance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we you know we're men, but we have tear ducts and we have hearts and we have feelings mm-hmm. for a reason. I recently conducted a reading. Now, let me explain for, for the listeners what I do. Um, and I know that not everybody agrees with this or believes with this, um, but, hey, too bad. Um, <laughs> I was born, and there's a, there's a genetic proclivity in my family for people to be able to perceive spirits. I believe in everlasting life, and I believe that it's perfectly normal and natural for people to be able to make contact with spirits. Mm-hmm. And I, I do this professionally. I mean, I pretty much do this for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a reading at, at, a, at a bookstore where I, where I do a lot of my readings in Florida, and this woman came in with this gentleman. Very, you know, they were kind of nondescript. They were just wearing T-shirts and jeans. You know, they were, mm-hmm. they were comfortable. And I, I figured, well, it's going to be for the woman because usually when I do an event, there's like, you know, 50 women and one or two men that were dragged there by their, by their wives. Okay? <laughs> right. But he said, no, this is for me. All of a sudden, I start picking up on three male energies around him, and I start talking about them, and I said, okay, there's something about a metal object, and it's, it's hollow, and there's an abrupt passing on all of them, and I described one guy, and I said that he used to laugh like this, yeah, 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 he goes, that was Kenny, and I said, describe someone else, he goes, that was so-and-so, and, and something else, and um, I said, these are the, the three men that came through, and I said, there's something military about that, and the guy is just staring at me, you know, like, he wasn't giving really any feedback. He was making me a little bit nervous the way he was looking at me. And then he said to me, he said, our Humvee exploded because of an IED in a mm-hmm. And I said, really? Mm-hmm. You know, and he said, and I'm the only survivor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was going on with him, Philippe, is he was suffering from not only post-traumatic stress disorder, but survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... And he said, why didn't I die? 
Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting, and I won't go through the, the whole reading, but a lot of messages came through, because I work with a lot of vets, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot, of, a lot mm-hmm. of military and police come to me for readings. And um, what it comes down to is, we're here for a reason. And it was decided, and when I say it was decided, I believe the, the will of God, divine order. He was not supposed to die that day. And he blames himself because he should have died, although mm-hmm. it wasn't his fault. Okay, they were driving along, you know, in, in, on a road in a rock, and then kaboom, you know, they, they just, you know, the explosion. And he doesn't understand why he's the one that lived. And his buddies from the other side, from, from heaven, came across to tell him, it's like, dude, you know, it was our time. It wasn't your time. And a lot of people say, but, but why is my life so sad? Why is it so difficult? Well, we come into this existence to experience a lot of things that we can't experience when we're in an eternal state on the other side. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing we can do about the fact someone we love or care about has died. All we can do is learn how to change our perspective on death and how to react to that passing. You can choose the alcoholism, the impulsive behaviors, the predatorial behavior route and get into the grief crime grief pattern. Or you can choose the more productive route and and the thing is Philippe whenever we grow as people and and I'm sure this is something that you've seen a lot in your work with poverty and your work um, inspiring people Mm -hmm. is that we never grow emotionally or spiritually when everything's wonderful and happy Mm -hmm. because why should we why Mm -hmm. should we change We, we grow in response to pain to sadness and to to grief. When someone you love dies, you can either turn into an abusive alcoholic or a a reclusive introvert, or you can take that experience and delve into your spirituality and and through that, in other words, life is a river. Don't flow don't swim against it, flow with it. And going with that, you can then become a deeper, more compassionate more spiritual and wiser person, and that is growth, and that's part of why we're here. So for this this uh, this special forces guy, whose unit was wiped out except for him, that's what he's in the throes of. And I'll never forget at the end of the reading, he stood up, he looked me right in the eye, and he said, "Thank you. I'm going out the side door because I will not walk through this store and allow anyone to see me cry." And he turned and he like marched out, and I'm sitting there like gee, I don't know if I did anything. And uh, his girlfriend looked at me and she goes, you have no idea how much you've done for him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? She goes, let me tell you something. He's been in counseling. He's been um, on medication. She goes, nothing has worked. She goes, this is the first time I've seen some emotion that looks like he might be taking a turn toward healing. And uh, so... So it's very important for us to deal with the grief. And to get back to to your question, yes, we can change. We can have that spiritual epiphany to realize that, my God, I am going down the wrong path. And I think also what what you just did is you made a very powerful connection or association between uh, PTSD and and grief. Um, I, I, I don't think... You know, I think people look at PTSD and just, you know, kind of house it as such and, and, and look at it just as, you know, a, a traumatic 
uh, and dramatic experience, but not connecting that to uh, grief. And, and, and so I think, you know, what I'm hearing from you is really you can't have one without the other. It, it appears not. Um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is, is, is a horrible thing because you keep reliving it and reliving it, and uh, it haunts you. And, you know, we can't let yesterday consume too much of today because then it robs you of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's very easily, you know, to say, but much more difficult to feel. I mean, there's so many people that, you know, an event happened, to them, oh, you won't believe what happened to me, you won't believe what happened to me. And for those around them that don't understand it, it's like, oh, God, is he going on about that again? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, you know, my dad was in World War II, and he was in the South Pacific in the Navy, and he was in some huge battles. And every now and then he'll talk about it. It's kind of cool when he talks about it because it's just amazing, the stuff that, that he saw. But I remember when my, one of my best friends died, and uh, I was over at my friend's house, and all of a sudden dad just showed up. I didn't even know he knew where my friend lived, and he walked in, and he hugged me, and he goes, I know what you're going through. And I saw the tears in his eyes. And I remember mm-hmm. talking to him later, and he said, in the Battle of Okinawa, I'll never forget when my best friend was killed. You know, and that was an event that occurred at that time like 60-something years ago mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with him. So the thing is that people need to understand is when a loved one dies, that pain and that grief and, and that post-traumatic stress disorder, it never leaves you. The objective is through acceptance of the death to find inner peace and then learn to live with our pain because it becomes part of who we are and what we are as people. Now, what I'm also getting um, from this conversation that we're having is, and I want to address it, I want you to address it, but uh, is um, what I call the chain of pain. So it's when you have one grief-stricken event after another, uh, and there's an accumulation effect. Uh, that, you know, many people uh, have, you know, you give an example, I was watching 60 Minutes, um, uh, this was uh, some time ago when they were talking about the housing crisis, and they, they, the show was about the new poor, uh, where they had, you know, these middle class families that were living, uh, had their children, uh, the entire family living uh, in a van. They were doing very, very well. They made uh, a bad financial decision or a bad financial decision was placed upon them, uh, unbeknownst to them, what, you know, whatever the circumstances were. But after which, it was just a cycle of pain that, you know, they ended up, you know, uh, going on welfare for the first time. They ended up losing uh, uh, all of their belongings. They ended up in a van, living in a van, and and it just continued to go on and on. The drinking and all of the all the, the domestic violence, everything just became a chain of pain. Um, how does that work with uh, – because right now, for the most part, we've been talking about one event. What happens when there's a series of events that occurs in one's life uh, oh. and that, that you know, triggers from maybe the, the first event? I'll, I'll tell you, um, I've come across so many people that maybe in, in the span of a year, year and a half, they lose like five or six, seven people in their family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the chain of pain, that's a really good way of putting it. It's, it's everything that we've been talking about 
to the tenth power. Mm-hmm. It compounds things. You know, coping with the death of a loved one takes years, but let's say all of a sudden you get four or five within a year. And, you know, the stages of grief, um, you know, there, there's, you know, Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about, I think, like the five stages of grief. Well, the, the thing is, they're not just nice and neat. Okay, I've gone through the depression, now I'm going into the feelings of hopelessness. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, it isn't a nice, neat package. You know? Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's, yeah, the, there's no and, line of demarcation there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's none of that. And all of a sudden, it's like, get all this overlapping. <laughs> and what will happen, and I see this a lot, let's say, you know, you lost uh, somebody two years ago and then you have a, a new death now um, and it opens up all the wounds on on the previous death mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so yeah it compounds those things and you know I always try to turn to comfort uh, with something that Mother Teresa said uh, she said that God never gives me more than I can handle but I wish God didn't trust me so much <laughs> I love that yeah that's great <laughs> that's great yeah yeah uh, you know, I'm just throwing everything at you here. And, uh, you know, also what has come up uh, in this conversation that I thought about is um, when we're talking about grief, when we're talking about um, uh, death, um, you know, in a sense, death can occur or the sense of death can occur in a relationship entity uh, or a betrayal uh, in the relationship. Uh, that can absolutely devastate and cripple uh, an individual um, and, you know, trigger the same uh, chain of pain. Uh, and, and as you say, the grief leads to crime, leads to, to, to grief. Um, I'm sure in your, in, your, in, your, in your practice you have had men and women who have come to you who have been betrayed by their spouses or, or, you know, or what have you, and, 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 and it just completely, it was like live, it was like the person was living, but they're still dead. You're, you're estranged from them, and there's nothing you can do. Right, and, and that, that, too, is a very realistic, realistic pain, and in many ways it echoes or mirror images the, the same emotions and the stresses and the pains that you go through with death. The only difference is, I mean, you, know, you, really, you, you can go talk to that person in person, whereas when somebody dies, you can't. I mean, you can receive contact uh, from them. As I explain in my book, Never Letting Go, um, I teach people how to recognize contact experiences from spirits, or you can do more direct communication with your loved one through a medium like myself. Uh, so, so that would be the significant difference there. However, the pain, the abandonment, the betrayal, the anger, and the rage are, are all there because a lot of people essentially lose their mind when the love of their life uh, double-crosses them and, or, or just, just turns around and leaves. So you do get a lot of the, the same. Um, people, people go crazy um, over, over their relationships, and understandably so. Well, this is absolutely amazing because, I, you know, uh, what, what I'm hearing is that there, there are tens of millions of people, billions of people walking around right now that uh, are grief-stricken and have no idea, uh, one, that they are, and two, how to, how to deal with it, how to cope with it. Well, how so many we, times have we heard... Time, the, this time bomb's ticking right now. Sure. And, and how many times have we heard the oft-told tale of, well, you know, uh, my husband or my wife, you know, they had everything, they had me, they had this loving thing, and yet they sabotaged it. Sure. 
and, sure. and you start looking into their background, and maybe they came from a broken home, and maybe daddy walked out on mommy, or maybe um, you know they had a series of relationships where somebody walked out on them, and they have these abandonment issues, and in some uh, subterranean psychological way, they recreate that. In other words, they have this uncanny ability to snatch misery from the jaws of happiness every time. And, you know, people wonder, why are they like that? Or why do they have trust issues with people? So, yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of scarred people. And I think that, you know, like you've created a forum where we can talk about these things. Talking about them and helping people identify the problem is, is the first step. I mean, that's one of the, the first things that, that people teach in AA is recognizing and admitting the problem is the first step. And mm-hmm. I'd say that what the people teach in AA does apply in, in coping with grief and coping with um, um, abandonment and adultery is recognizing the issue, also recognizing what people, um, what your behavior patterns are. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, and because um, there's a lot of folks that kind of have that victim vibe. I always end up with abusive men. Really? Um, where are you looking at? Or I hear, I'm always in a relationship with someone who's controlling. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay, well, are you seeking these people out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. I mean, you, you, uh, is this, I was on this one radio show, and uh, we were doing, I was doing psychic readings where people call up and I connect them. This guy calls and goes, well, I want to I get some advice. And he was serious. I mean, this was not a prank call. He said, I need to know if, if I should stay with my wife. And I go, well, why do you say that? Well, she cheated on me with my best friends, gave me crabs and chlamydia. Oh my and I god! Said, I said, and you need a psychic to tell you that this is a bad relationship. <laughs> and, and I know, and I right. thought the host of the show was gonna—he was laughing so hard. And I said, "Look, you know, we don't mean to be laughing." And the guy goes, "Yeah, I guess I kind of needed to hear that." <laughs> it's like I said, "I'm sorry, but you don't need a psychic lawyer. You need a divorce lawyer." Right. <laughs> you know, I said because yeah. if your wife is going to go out, um, commit adultery, then come home and give you parasites and a disease. Yeah. How yeah. much more do you need to know that this is a bad relationship? Yeah. Now, if yeah. you want to stay with that person, that's your choice. But kind of, what does that say about you? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it, it, it's fascinating how how people can become addicted to their pain. Oh, sure, because it's easier to be a victim and drown in the sea of sorrow than it is to get your butt up and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well said. It, well, one of the things that, that I wrote about Never Letting Go is you can go from um, being a victim of grief to being its volunteer. Mm, so, I like that. Well, you know, grief can take on a life of its own, and it can become your life. And so it's very, very, um, very. You got to be very careful about that. And I, you know, I was in a, a grief counseling group because I get asked to go to a lot of them because I talk about the afterlife and 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 that. And there's people that, well, I've been coming here for five years, and I'm like, really? You've been going to a grief support group for five years? Yeah, yeah And yeah. she goes, well, grief is my friend. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Grief is nobody's friend. <laughs> right. Grief, grief is, grief and guilt, okay, they're unwelcome companions that gnaw at you and prevent you from experiencing any form of peace and joy in your life. These well, are not right. your friends. But the thing is, she created this mindset of unhappiness that she wallowed in, and it's an excuse 
not to take care of yourself, not to be happy or not to, to strive forward. And granted, when you're going through the, the initial stages of grief, I can understand that. But after a couple years, um, that, that then becomes a psychological problem that must be dealt with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. What, um, what does uh, the other side of grief look like, and, and how does one get there? And when, or, or What are some of the telltale signs that one, someone is, is overcoming or coping and dealing with their grief and they're getting over it and becoming a whole person again? Uh, that's an excellent question, Philippe. What I've found is a lot of people feel guilty if they laugh or if they smile or they have fun because they feel that in, in the initial stages of grief because they feel that in some way they're being disloyal to the person that they loved. But when you start realizing that, you know, the last hour, I didn't feel so bad. I felt okay. So you may start having a good hour. Then you may have a good couple hours mm-hmm. where you don't feel so worn out and miserable. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's a start. And that's when you begin the upward turn towards an acceptance of the reality of the death and you begin to form what, what I call the new normal. Mm-hmm. Then you may have a good day. That good day can lead to a good two or three days, and then eventually you'll have a good week, and then what you'll find is you're emerging from the pit of grief because you're not crying uncontrollably, you're no longer feeling that your life is worthless, you no longer um, feel uh, apathy, um, you start looking towards future events, you want to start socializing again, and you'll, you'll begin to feel the, the, the pain will physically lift from you. Now, one of the things that you have to be aware of is there will be triggers. You may see someone that looks like your loved one. You may mm-hmm. um, maybe you're walking through a department store and you smell her perfume as you walk past the Estee Lauder counter or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe you hear a song. You know, songs are really powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay, that reminds you, and and that wave can can trigger that. Um, I'm going to tell a, a quick story. Maybe some people might think this is goofy, but I remember after my mom died. It's a very difficult experience for me because we were very close, and she was a psychic medium like me. So we, you know, we had a lot in common, a lot mm-hmm. going on. And I would drive over to to see my dad, and I kept passing the stop sign about two blocks from from uh, where my parents used to live. And I noticed every time I drove by there, I got really angry. And then I noticed that I was getting angry when I looked at the hedge that grew along the street there. And one day when I pulled up, I said, why am I getting angry at that hedge? I hate that hedge. And suddenly it dawned on me when I was seven years old, the first day I ever took a school bus by myself, that was the bus stop. And I, I was really nervous getting on the bus. And I remember when the bus pulled up the, the first day of school, my mom was standing at that stop sign waiting for me because she knew that I was afraid. And I was angry at the hedge because it's still alive. <laughs> now, I know, wow. and it sounds funny. And all that of a sudden, is excellent. That, I, no, that is fantastic. 
how those associations and neural networks work. I just find that fascinating. And you know what? Now when I drive by that hedge, it makes me happy because now the memory is she loved me so much. She made sure that she was there on that first day to tell me, see, Mark, it wasn't so bad. You can do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's funny, and, and, and I started thinking about that, and it's like, okay, I came from a family that, you know, we weren't rich, we weren't poor, but, you know, we we had just the basics, and, and you know, we, we lived through some, some difficult times, but my family loved me, and... Mm-hmm. And I could see that if I didn't have that stability and that support group, that that rage, which, you know, I'm I'm explaining here in in terms of being angry at a hedge, Mm -hmm. what if that rage was like, I'm so mad, I think I want to kill people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but for the grace of God, go I. And so that's why it is so important to break the cycle of grief, crime, and grief, particularly for children and young adults in, when they lose a loved one or there's an, a, a divorce or a life-changing, depressing event, the parent, even though you're going through the grief too, or, or the adult or whoever is there, you've got to help that child. You've got to maybe reach out to your faith community, to, to the school. The help is out there. You've just got to reach out for it. And that's very, very important because we can. This is absolutely something we can do to prevent things like Sandy Hook and Virginia Tech and all these other horrific tragedies is we've got to deal with grief up front. Don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. Don't try to self-medicate it. I love it. I love this. This is absolutely fantastic. When is this book coming out? Um, I, I will be hearing from the publisher shortly. Uh, well, what it is, uh, they just got the manuscript, and they're they're doing a meeting on it, and I should be hearing from them soon. It'll either be out in the fall catalog 2014 or probably the January or February uh, 2015 catalog. Okay. And, uh, for How can people, people get in contact with you? Because I'm sure there's some people who will be listening to this and say, you know what, I would just like to have a session with Mark sure. uh, and, and, and talk and, to you. How can that, how can that happen? Sure, to, to get a reading with me, uh, to find out about my current book, Never Letting Go, and uh, my upcoming book, my website is neverlettinggo.com, same as my book, neverlettinggo.com, and uh, that you can find out about a reading. There's also a grief management section on the website to give you some um, productive uh, suggestions on how to cope with this. Um, you can also look at the, the video series that I have on there of me conducting readings, um, um, for for people whose loved ones have have passed on, and and Philippe, I can't thank you enough for providing such a positive and and empowering forum for so many people. Thank you, and God bless you for the work that you do. Well, thank you, and God bless uh, that uh, you uh, have shown up 